This show is brought to you by Made by Super. Hiring a design studio is more necessary than you think. Your brand is important, and how it's represented shouldn't be phoned in. Whether it's your logo, website, messaging, online ads, environment, graphic design, or social media, you need professionals, thinkers, advocates for your brand, people that will make you look good. It will make a difference. Trust me. Go to madebysuper.com and hire great designers to get to work for you on your brand. Also brought to you by Age Old Trade Design, LA's premier hospitality design firm. Hey guys, Josh Radner is my guest today. Josh is an actor, a writer, a director, a singer-songwriter, and a musician. You definitely know him as Ted Mosby from the super long-running How I Met Your Mother, but he also starred in the PBS American Civil War drama series Mercy Street, and more recently, in the musical series Rise on NBC. He was in the Tony Award-nominated Broadway play Disgraced and... More recently, he did a little, little run as Seymour in the Kennedy Center's production of Little Shop of Horrors. He also starred in two feature films, which he also wrote, directed, and produced, titled Happy Thank You More Please and Liberal Arts, the former of which won the Audience Award at Sundance. He's making and performing music in his band called Radner and Lee. Enjoy. It is a skeleton, and you have to discover where the bones go. What I need for my life, I am drawn to create the play. And you must use the play. Okay. Hi. Hi, Josh Radner. Welcome. How are you? Old friend. I'm well. How Good to see do, you. should we talk about like how we I mean I mean, I don't know, we know each other from New York. Yeah. Through friends. From like what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. like you said you had all these pictures from those days and I said, Isn't it weird how if you just like keep living life, like everything becomes a period piece. I know. Like I wanna see these photos because I imagine they Look like happy days. I'll show something. you all yeah. of them. They really, they do. Like, we're all like, I mean, when was that? That was like 2004. 2003, 2004. Yeah. The thing I, one of the things I really love is like the, the people that stayed at it. Yeah. Like we all kind of got out of school at the same time. <laughs> and you feel like you kind of had this class, even though we weren't in school to, you know, at the same yeah. Although you were at NYU when I was in grad. I was. Right? You were in undergrad. I was at undergrad when you were in grad. Yeah. yeah. But we didn't know each other through Mm-mm, school. We, we met, met after. Through, yeah. Yeah. Because um, you were hanging out with all these Juilliard kids. Correct. I was very good friends with the Juilliard class 99 that graduated when I graduated. And then I dated um, one of my best friends. One of your best friends, Lesson. who we can say his name, I'm sure, because I, I will have him on this show. Yes, you will. And he just starred in my play last summer. Shut up. He, he starred in Sacred Valley, my Dude, play I wrote. I wrote it for I him. I forgot all about So yeah. I, I did do some homework i mean like i know what you're up to like in a <laughs> general <laughs> way but i forgot that you wrote a play yeah, yeah. um and i didn't he know was so good in it yeah, we're talking amazing. about michael Chernus. michael Chernus is a great amazing... actor and a phenomenal dude yeah, yeah yeah super super great and yeah. we'll have him on the show um and he's still in new york he's currently in new york but yeah. he but actually one of the last times i saw you was with him too he was uh, visiting when was this? You may not remember, actually. We can, we can talk about it. <laughs> okay. This is something you don't want to <laughs> talk is, about. No, you no. You me, like, what do you not, not want to talk about? It's not something I don't want to like... talk about. It's just something that, well, whatever, you know. Okay. Know, we'll see. Um, so, hi. So, hey. so, um, so, 
you you the, so this show is about things that i feel like you you're i'm so happy to have you here Thanks. i feel like you know a lot about all of this stuff um my intention with the show is to like basically i don't know the the word that comes to mind is sort of demystify acting but that's not exactly it like i want to talk about acting in all of its complexities in the mystical parts of it and the simple parts of it because I think that there's value in it for people mm. who are non-actors. Um, my real intention is like, you know, like, what is it? I feel like we, not ever, not all actors, but a lot of actors are very wise people. I feel like we've learned a lot about mm. life um, by virtue of the fact that we're actors. And so I think that that's like valuable yeah. to more than just us. Right. I kind of feel like the most interesting thing to talk about around acting um is not about the actual like what happens between action and cut yeah and more about how do you stay sane exactly. around action and cut exactly like how do you i mean one of the things i love about being an actor all these years is that i you know my father was a trial lawyer for over 40 years at the same law firm so you know i mean his social circle was was vast but his work social circle was pretty constrained i mean he saw the same people every day and i feel like one of the things i love about being an actor is it keeps you really socially limber mm -hmm. like you you know first days of like plays or or a new job it's like first day of school and you really have to be open to new relationships and new experiences and you know you hear about people kind of like get filed in the life's too short category like they just stop getting hired because they don't know how to play well with others right you know? so i like that it i like that it brings all these new people in my life like i'm so not done collecting awesome amazing people and I, I don't always get them just from show business but i i feel like i still have an openness to new people and new uh -huh. experiences and i've also i also feel like if you're going to have a sustainable acting career and i'm coming up on 20 years yeah um yeah i think your career has been pretty sustainable. yeah but you you, you end up <laughs> I don't think that there's an actor who has a career, let's say, that lasts over a decade that doesn't have some sort of guiding philosophy. You know, maybe they couldn't even articulate it, but they they find a way to stay sane through feast or famine. Agreed. Because also, like, the feast can be as destabilizing as the famine. Agreed. So, yeah. So, 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 I mean, we're jumping a little bit ahead because I do want to go back to just, like, some basic, like, you know, beginning questions. But... But would you say that your uh, guiding principle or your philosophy is about, um, you know, like you do this because it helps you stay open in this way and it helps you collect new people? And you mean I do acting or I have a kind of you philosophy? do acting like is that your is that is that is that how you've like has your so like let's say like, you know. Okay, let's just go back for one second. Yeah. So, so you decided to act at some point, right? I think probably like in high school, right? Yeah. Maybe I mean, it before was that. this thing that was growing in me that I loved so much and I was afraid to voice it almost, especially to my parents because we're so kind of <laughs> middle class Midwestern. Trial lawyer and does mom work? Or? Uh, she was a, uh, an elementary school teacher and then she was mom and then she was a adult educator and then she was a guidance counselor got it okay so she's done a lot of things but they weren't expecting you to suddenly be oh, an no. Actor. <laughs> oh no okay that was a curveball so so you but at some point you decided to be an actor and do you remember what made you decide initially to become an actor or or did it sort of happen well i kind of i stumbled onto stage like a little half accidentally um i was keeping a friend company at the chorus auditions for Oklahoma this musical <laughs> and I was just sitting with her yeah and they asked if I wanted to audition the next thing I know I was and I got one of the leads and 
I had this uh, Will Parker. Oh my God. Is that Kansas? <laughs> That's you Kansas got to City Kansas City. City. Kansas City on, on a Friday. Friday. <laughs> yeah. You would have been a good 80 Annie. Did you ever play that part? I'm just a girl really? who can't, can't say no. Yeah. No, I didn't play that. Um, but I am obviously a musical theater nerd. So. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I did that and it was, it was super fun. But I was really, I did a lot in high school. You know, I was on the school paper and the swim team and the, um, you know, I ended up being class president. Like, I was just, I was really geared towards, like, get into a good college, do a lot of activities, whatever that kind of thing was. But then I discovered acting, and it was the next year I did cabaret. I played the MC in cabaret. And it, that was kind of game over for me because um, I, it's weird. Like, part of my, one of the things I've had to bust through, and this would be a good thing we can talk about later, is, like, my sense of Midwestern humility, mm. which has kept, which kept me from really owning what I did and that I was good at it, mm. or even saying I was good at it, mm -hmm. because I really had the sense when I was doing cabaret that I was killing it. Like, I was yeah. just a really good 16-year-old MC in cabaret. Uh -huh. You know, there's a lot of levels of sexuality <laughs> stuff I probably didn't understand, but I knew how to like take a cane and imitate Joel Grey and act like Yeah, you, you felt know, good at I it. I felt really good at it and I could feel my parents were really startled at how good I was and certain teachers were really like, you know, I remember one of the girls, her uncle came up to me and asked for my autograph and he said this is going to be worth something someday. Uh. You know, and it started these wheels turning. Some of them were probably egoic, but some of them were like, "Wow, when I do I've never done something that I, I was always very good at things, but never excellent at something. Right. I mean, I might have been, but nothing that ignited that passion in me. It just felt really right. It felt like I wanted to keep doing it. Right. That's all I knew. Right. Now, I, then I went to this uh, like children's theater that did musicals with 16 to 21 year olds every summer. Uh -huh. And that was, I did three summers there and that was like a crazy party. Uh -huh. Super fun. But it was like, like all the best people from all over central Ohio would compete to get spots in there oh, like wow. Stephen Boyer was in that group what you was know, that Stephen? called yeah Columbus Junior Theater it's now okay. called Columbus Children's okay. Theater but a bunch of my friends went to Juilliard and had like still are acting so it was like a very pre-professional vibe there yeah and I, when I got there people were a lot better than me so it really kept me on my toes and I it, it um it made me I was I was hungry like I really wanted to get better right yeah um okay so and we'll also talk more about that later but so at at what point did like your pursuit of acting like was there some point at which it be it went from being something that like you knew that you loved and that you wanted to get better at and that people thought you were good at and that it it, it all just sort of made sense was there a point at which it went from like that's sort of why you did it to like and not saying that this is why you do it now but like at what point did you develop this sort of theory or philosophy or at what point did this openness to meeting new people that you were talking about become an important aspect of why you do what you do? Well, it never was not important because I love, like, I remember when I stumbled into Columbus Junior Theater and I met all these people from not my town uh -huh. that were just my favorite people in the world. And they were, you know, from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Some of them were rural. Some of them were, you know, urban. Some of them were gay. Some of them were straight. Like, the whole thing was terribly exciting to me because it was like this collision of elements and it just felt like more exciting than just being with, like, my friends from my town so it's who I still love. always been part of it. Like it's I think always so. been a big part is like the people that you Yeah, meet. I've always loved like I've always 
I've always loved the excitement of meeting new people, but it's not just meeting new people. It's collaborating with new people. It's uh, stepping into an ensemble of a, of a share. That's why I love directing films. Cause it's kind of like, I get to be the captain of this ship where yeah. it's like, we have this common objective mm. and I love that we're all kind of sailing in the same direction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And also you're in this amazing band now. I am in a band. <laughs> I have a band. I'm a musician. It's funny. I, you know, Olympia Dukakis said this thing that Ron Van Lue at NYU told us about that he said the, that she said the reasons you become an actor are not the reasons you're going to stay. An yeah. Actor. So I feel like certain things that got me into acting are no longer relevant, like deep kind of insecurity, like not knowing who I was, um, needing to be seen in a certain way was much more important to me than it is now. Yeah. Um, needing to be validated. Yeah. I still have those demons, sure. but they're so much less pronounced than they were. So what's kept me in it. And, and again, I don't even consider myself straight up an act, just an actor at this point. Like I'm a writer, musician, director, yeah, something you're, person. You're like I'm just a creative person. Mm -hmm. Right. But at the same time, you know, when I, since I left how I met your mother, I've actually fallen in love with acting again in a lot of ways, just because I, by the time I, was done with that show it was like playing one role for 208 episodes is hard yeah. and you you kind of forget that you have a range yeah because you're only asked to play a couple notes yeah you know and then you're like wait i got all these other notes and it's been really fun the last couple of years to re um uh, you know to reignite certain parts of myself yeah i mean you like did mercy street which is like you know yeah period, like a civil war like period drama but you were also funny in that and then r rise, rise this recently yeah, heartbreak. This recent, yeah. that was a heartbreak Dude, i just love that I show know. i know it shouldn't i honestly I can't believe say i watched every episode but i did watch it shouldn't have been canceled it was like so... i can say that fully like it should have it was exactly the kind of show that should have been given some I time agree. because people were so moved really by it. It. i mean it was yeah. really moving i know it was beautiful it really was. um but you know the other thing that acting is amazing at as a as a life lesson granting thing mm -hmm. is that more than other people i think we have to deal with failure and disappointment as a fact and feature of our lives agreed and i and i want to talk about that yeah like, so so like for instance when rise gets canceled and yeah. i'm sure that you know you've endured a lot of other disappointments along the yeah. way. Um, how do you like, how do you deal with disappointment now? How did you deal with disappointment then? And, and how do you deal with rejection too? And yeah. they're sort of like friends, rejection and disappointment, but like in this business, certainly. They right. Are. Well, I think one of the benefits of feeling a little bit more like a veteran hmm. is that you have a large enough sample size sure. to know that like you you, there's something else will come along, mm -hmm. you know, so that, that a lot of times when something, um, that you were banking on or some, there's some, been some disappointment. If you look back at your years, something always came in that was so meaningful to you mm. that you're like, Oh, if I had been doing that, I wouldn't have been doing this. Right. I mean, it's almost, it's not like unlike, it happens for a reason. It's not unlike sort of. like romantic heartache. You know what I mean? Like people who end up getting married and they're like, Oh my God, I was so in love with that person and thought they were <laughs> for me and it didn't work out and I was devastated. But then look, now I'm really, this was for me. So I think that there's, um, you can contextualize things a little bit more. I mean, I felt the rise thing pretty hard. Yeah. And I let myself, that's another thing. I've gotten better at letting myself grieve it. And what does that look like mechanically? Well, I found out it was canceled a couple hours before I got on the plane to go to Australia with Ben to do a Radnor and Lee tour of Australia. Oh, that's cool. So I was, I was hit the ground running in Australia. We had to do all this press. We did three shows. So I spent like a week or nine days like in Australia just and then I went to Byron Bay by myself to just like be sad and be on the beach and write and 
And, and is I, that what you did? You sat on the beach and you... I kind of did. Maybe I mean, you cried a little. You journaled, uh, I wrote about it. I wrote a piece that... I do these newsletters. Like, do you get those? No. I do these email newsletters I where I kind of write up. an essay. I'll sign you up. Okay, great. Um, and if listeners want to sign yep, up, they please. may. please. We'll put it in. Mm. We'll have show notes, guys. We're, yeah. This, this um, podcast will have show notes. Let me get... I'm changing the link, but I'll get okay, it to you. Okay, Um But I wrote about Rise getting canceled and I, I wrote a more personal piece just for the cast and crew. Because I, I sometimes don't know what I'm thinking about something until I write about it. I, I hear you. And yeah. I was really able to like mourn it appropriately in prose. So yeah. I was working on just writing about it. And the first draft that came out was like pretty fiery and maybe not something that I wanted the network to read. <laughs> but, it, you know, it was a little, yeah. it was a little not quite angry, just there was some acidity to it. Although that I'm I sure there was anger, wasn't there? Like There was. I, I, um, I think that. Yeah, it's just a show I really believed in, not only because I, selfishly, I thought it was such a great role for me that it was like one of those roles you're waiting for. Yeah. But in a in a larger sense, I thought what we were dealing with and what we were sharing through that show was something that is um, such a nice offering in this moment Yeah. of, you know, cruelty and indifference. And, you know, it was about the, it was an antidote to those things. Mm. And I thought this is something really worthy to offer and I couldn't believe I was doing it on a major network. It's meaningful. It was was meaningful. meaningful. It felt meaningful. So, yeah, I mean, I let myself be sad. I let myself write. Um, And why do you call them newsletters? It was just, I crowdsourced, uh, um, two people recommended (laughs) it. I crowdsourced, what do I call these? Oh, okay, They're 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 musing. Like, I I do a kind of essay. Got it, got it. Yeah, like I, I let my... I read a kind of, I, I do a lot of suggestions of like, this is what I'm listening to, reading, loving, being inspired by. And then I do a kind of essay of, this is what I've been thinking about lately. This is where I've been struggling. This is where I've been having small victories. You know? Right. I mean, what I want to ask, but I also feel like maybe it's a little early in this podcast, but then maybe that's just you that's asking me to ask this on some level. But like, what is the connection? Do you, do you make a connection um, between your personal musings and like they're like a muse like do you feel like your your musings come from you so are you i mean do you like like, is there a muse inside and is there a muse yeah is there a muse inside and a muse outside do you know right well you've seen that ted talk right that elizabeth gilbert i i has she done two she might have done two then i i think i only saw one she did one that's like one of my favorite well i've read and like big magic yeah big magic so she talks about that in there um yeah you know i i do feel like um i've gotten a lot better at putting things out there and being less less thinking less that they're me mm-hmm. or have something to do with me mm-hmm. and just being like this came through me and this was just where it came and here it is and you know what they say in the Bhagavad Gita like don't mm-hmm. be attached to the results like the fruits of the labor are not yours like you just do the work right but I do feel you know I I'm a prayerful person mm-hmm. and I don't I don't even mean that in like a woo-woo way. I just I don't, mean... I'm, I'm the most woo-woo person yeah, there I, is. I just... I, I ask... I, I, I think that creativity is so mysterious. And the longer you're creative, 
I think you get humbled by the unpredictability of it and the, I think you can create certain conditions that encourage creativity, mm -hmm. but some some days some things come through you. I'm feeling it most with songwriting now. So some days like a song will come through and it'll take me 15 minutes to write. And I'm like, that's one of the best things I've ever written. Yeah. And other times I'll just labor over something and it's, I like the initial maybe idea or chord progression and it just is not there. Right. So I think anyone who's in an active creative pursuit or has a creative life will, um, be um they'll tread delicately around the muse mm -hmm. or whatever that is mm -hmm. i do think there's something outside of me like one of my working prayers that i have going is that i kind of volunteer mm -hmm. like i ask that whatever wants to come through me like i want to be receptive to it and i want to you know whether it's writing or with my guitar or i i just want to be available to it mm -hmm. you know i want to create conditions in my life where i'm like I'm ready. It should something come through. You yeah. Know? And so how do you create those conditions? Like what is your, can you share about your practice? Do you have a daily practice? Do you sort of let it come in phases? Well, I kind of geared my life around being creative. And one of the benefits of being on a show for so long is I don't have to have a day job and I don't have to have, I don't have to take acting jobs that I don't, that I feel kind of, I don't know, assault my sense of you yeah. know, quality or whatever. <laughs> so I really do have a really creative life. Wait, know? can we can we just dig into that for like one second? Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, don't get specific, but like, what is it? Um, and because here's here, my main objective here is is really because you and I could geek out about acting in the business for for like a bazillion years, but like, I really do. I want people who work in an office yeah. in. IT or like in a you know in a hospital they're they're doctors or whatever I want I want people to be able to to hear what we're talking about and also let it be useful for them right. in their lives so like because I sort of believe that fundamentally we're all very creative beings right. even if we don't live such an obviously creative life right. like you do so like uh so 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 like for some like so just, can you talk about your own process can you distill what makes you want to do something uh, or what makes you not like, – What? how do you know that something assaults your senses? And the reason I'm asking that is because – You mean where I'm actually like I'm not going to do that? Yeah, where like you yeah. want it – like what's your process in deciding like what is meaningful to you and what's not? Some of it's like a little obvious. Like Rise was so almost hilariously aligned with my values. Like uh -huh. I believe in the theater. I started acting at a public theater in a, a public high school <laughs> right. theater department. It was all about like – transformation and possibility and believing in each other and ensemble. So it was like, values. Yeah, that's literally like everything I valued was in that show. Right, right. And that's why one of the reasons it was a, a heartbreak. But, um, you know, I passed on I passed on a pilot a week before Jason Kadams called me to meet about Rise. I love that. And it was weird. I, I couldn't decide because it wasn't terrible, this pilot on mm, the page. Mm -hmm. But something about it wasn't a full yes in me. Mm. So I sent it to like all these people I knew, both people in the business and out of the business. I'm like, will you read this and tell me? Yeah. My sisters both had a kind of allergic response to it. I have mm. two great sisters, neither of whom are in the business, but they're <laughs> confidants, you know, yeah. they, they understand me. And they both said, I don't. I don't like this for you. And then my friend John um, read it and he said something so simple and it was kind of the nail in the coffin for him. He said, I don't think this is going to light you up. Mm. I don't think your feet are going to hit the floor excited mm. in the morning to go do this. Yeah, because sometimes we need help determining 
Yeah, but what I've determined, sorry to cut you off, no, but what ahead. I've determined is that if I'm making pro and con lists, that's generally a bad sign. Right. Because the the what calls me forward should be something that I feel it in my body. Right. Like I, I know, because when I finally talked to John, and it was so funny because I was about to go into like this silent meditation retreat for a couple of days. I love it. And it was the last thing I could talk was like, I had to decide if I was going to do this pilot or not before yeah. I went into silence. Yeah. And when I when he said that and I realized it was a no, my shoulders dropped. Mm. I felt like I was breathing for the right. first time. Like I just knew it was right. Right, right, right. And then and then when Jason called, like, you know, I got the you know, Kadams wants to meet you about this show, it was like, Oh, yeah, I want to do that show. Mm-hmm. And I almost had like nightmares about having said yes to the other one and yeah. not being available for this yeah. one. So some of it is just I try to not be intellectual about it. I try to actually check in um just almost physiologically yeah like does this get me excited do i does it call me forward and and so like again to even like dig in a little bit further to that like how do you know in your body like what are your sensations like what and do you have a process do you sit down and meditate this is something that i put in the play that i did with churnus yeah which is like you know these characters are best friends and they're trying to help each other out and he's like i do this thing you know like close your eyes and you kind of just literally taste both options mm. and then observe mm. like like try it on mm-hmm. try it on in your mind and what feels better in your body mm-hmm. you so know? it's really a i mean it's really a deep practice of mindfulness i think so i think so i wish i was um i wish i remembered to do it more yeah like even even with smaller things sure of course. you know do i need this cup of coffee i know <laughs> you know what i mean I like know. can i be quiet and see what my body is it's it's not unlike you know muscle testing or yeah you know how they do the uh yeah that's yeah. uh, kin- kinesiology yeah kinesiology, did you ever read yeah. power versus force by david hawkins you know um i didn't read that book but i'm very familiar with it it's a great I, book i read i think some of it yeah it's a great book i i got a lot from that oh you did uh-huh okay great yeah i read it years ago talk about it it's worth well it's just about kind of that you're body has information that your mind might not because sure. i think the mind is conditioned by your past history mm-hmm. so the mind i actually wrote about this in a newsletter like the mind is like an accountant yeah and it sifts through receipts and it yeah. tells you where you've been yeah but it's very terrible it's uniquely terrible at t- about telling you where to go right because all it knows is where you've been so it's only going to tell you to keep recreating what you've already because it's cataloged and deemed that safe right so moving into the unknown is risk and the mind will always try to shut you off from that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's even just accepting an invitation, like going to a party where you don't know that many people or whatever. Yeah. You know? Well, also our mind, our minds are very clever, right? So like oh, we can yeah. convince ourselves of anything yeah. we want at any time. And there's always a great argument on both sides to do something or not do something. Yeah. But I found that the mind sometimes has to, you have to leap over it. Exactly. A, a lot of times. Right. Um, Acting's great because it's inherently scary to like walk into a room and fight for a job or even say yes to a job if you get an offer when there's so many unknowns. Mm -hmm. There's so many leaps of faith we have to make. And so, and so, so the reason that you just made that connection, which is a connection I'm very, very interested in, I think is really useful to talk about is that, um, like, like it requires in a sense, a leap of faith to, uh, to transcend the mind, right? Do you need adjustments? You're adjusting your mic. Uh, there we go. Is that better? I just sat up. Okay, there we go. Okay, good. <laughs> um, um, so and so so how do you? So I'm really interested in this because I think this is universal, universally um, useful and um, 
and maybe like even a necessary life skill is like how do we how how do you how do you transcend the mind i mean you know look obviously like i think you're still a meditator i'm a meditator like a lot of people meditate but like is there a way for you to distill that even further like and you can relate it to acting you know like how do you transcend the mind before you walk into an audition or, or, and, or even in between takes or like, in between like, takes or when you're faced with a decision between two pilots to take or, right, you know what I mean? Like right. how can you distill that process? Well, some of it is collecting again, collecting enough evidence to say, huh, when I keep doing these things, I get these results. Mm-hmm. And when I take a chance and do these things, I seem to get these results. And I found that, generally when I accept certain invitations and I mean within reason, like if you get a weird feeling about people stay away, I think you have to trust your instinct, especially if you're just meeting people, not even auditioning. And you're like, do I get a good vibe from this person? Do I want to spend time with them? Do I feel like they'd be a good collaborator for me? But other times it's just about looking back and saying, wow, when I've taken the greatest risk, I've gotten the greatest reward. Mm. So I, wrote this movie, Happy Thank You More Please, which ended up being the first movie I directed. It's a great movie. Thank you. And um, I remember I was in San Francisco. I forget why I was in San Francisco, but I was um, on a conference call with Jesse Hera, who's my producer of both my movies, who's a high school friend of mine, actually elementary school. We've known each other a long time. Oh, that's so great. And um, my lawyer uh, had hooked us up with these producers who wanted to produce the movie. They wanted to produce it for a lot less than we thought we should produce it for. Yeah. It was right around the time where the economics were just recalibrating because of the crash. And like, it was mm-hmm. not a great time to be making a movie yeah. uh, if it ever is. But um, I remember we got the offer. They're going to make it. They would make it with me starring in it and directing, which some people were like, okay with me starring and not directing and right. all this stuff. First time director is very hard. And I remember... Andrew, my lawyer, got off the phone and he said, you guys should discuss it. And we had to, we really had to make a decision. Like, like it was on that call. Right. And we just were both terrified. We didn't know if we could make it for that much money because we'd never made a movie before. Mm -hmm. And I remember we just almost like dared each other. Like, Mm. let's do it because we might not have another chance. Uh And it ended up to be like one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. We fully were able to make the movie I wanted for that money yeah. i mean it was insane it was 23 days and but i didn't have to make a lot of compromises other than time and i'm super proud of the movie still and um so sometimes fear like fear is not necessarily a signifier that you shouldn't correct do that's a really good point i mean sometimes fear is like hot stove rattlesnake fear right and sometimes it's oh, I actually want this and I'm afraid of it. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm afraid of it because the disappointment of failing or not getting it will be, so I'm protecting myself by fear. Right. Like, 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 right. Like I, I'm so, so scared. I'm so, so scared. I'm so, so scared. And then there's a mechanism in the, in you that says like, do it anyway. Right. But that's a practice. It's a practice. It's a practice. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and do you think, what do you think is like your, um, what do you think's your power in that practice? Like, is it as much experience as you have? Like, what's given you the 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 uh, the expansiveness to be able to practice that to to you know, go I, so, to go towards something you're afraid of? Yeah, I don't know if this is entirely related, but remind me because we can get back to this. But yeah. the the woman who signed me, who was my agent for 14 years before I we, we parted ways a couple years ago, and I went to another agency, but she was my agent for a long time. So it was this very deep, intense relationship. She really got me started in the business. And, uh-huh. you know, um, 
she used to tell me the only power you have right now is no because you have no nothing else you don't have a resume right but you can say no to things that you don't like mm-hmm. i don't think a lot of actors are granted that young actors when they're starting out yeah but she just believed in me and she she was like there'll be more if you don't like it she she also loved to say no she was kind of contrarian <laughs> so she loved say, you know saying well, no so there's to something really abundant about that way of exactly being, right? exactly it was it was saying i think one of the things that actors get into is scarcity thinking yeah so either they think i have to do this because there might not be another role coming along or a really pernicious thought that comes along is um your success equals my failure Mm -hmm. and that's a kind of i think capitalist you know fiction that yeah that we've bought into yeah and that's a really um that's a dark way to approach anything yeah i i will say thinking back to the time when you know we got out of school excuse me one second please Thinking back to the time we got out of school in that first year, you know, auditioning and some people had agents and some people didn't. I remember there was one night, I think Chernus might have even been there, but I was with some Juilliard people and some, all the people you kind of got out of school at the same time with. And you're talking about, we're talking about like, oh, who's doing what? And there's some people that just out of the gate just are like, wait, they're starring in a movie? All- yeah. like, we got out of school like two months ago. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't know how to audition for films, much yeah. less star in one. Yeah. And then, but I, I, I remember there were a lot of people like complaining about things. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is not healthy mm-hmm. for me psychologically mm-hmm. to sit with young actors and complain about mm-hmm. how hard it is. Mm-hmm. I just intuitively knew that. I was like, this is not going to help me. Yeah. So I made a commitment to myself to not talk ill of people who were working mm-hmm. and to not complain mm-hmm. about how tough it was Mm because I thought it would be a self-fulfilling prophecy. It would just, and it is, isn't it? It is because I, I really, I was very, you know, when I talk to young actors and they say, how did you achieve your dream? I always say, I never called it a dream. Mm. And I think it's really key because the word dream makes it kind of fuzzy and hazy and ephemeral and off in the distance. And only, you know, very few people get to do it. Whereas I, I went to drama school the way my dad went to law school or a doctor, you know, go to med school. Like I planned to do it. And this I is what I'm doing. I'm doing it. I've got a degree. I'm, I, I remember getting in a fight with a, a friend who um, ran an off, off Broadway theater and she asked me to do this, these one acts, you know, and I asked her if it was paid and simply me asking her if it was paid. She got really offended. Like mm-hmm. I'm giving you an opportunity to act <laughs> in New York city. And I was like, I just got out of grad school. Like I'm a professional actor. Like I have the right to ask that question yeah. at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I took it, I took it, I, I was like very pre-professional about it. Yeah. But so that, but that, so that, uh, to begin with requires, um, this sort of leap of faith that we're talking about. Right. Like, yeah. and, and it do- probably doesn't even feel like a leap of faith because, the way you even talk about it is very pragmatic. Like it's not about faith, right? It's, it's just like what you're saying is this is the way that it's going to go for me. Like, well, I also, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps painting myself as more confident than I was. I was a curious, I was always a curious mix of like super confidence and like deep insecurity. But that doesn't matter, right? Like this is what like is interesting to me. You don't necessarily have to be confident to say words like, well, how much do you pay for that? Right. You know what I mean? Like we don't like our feelings of confidence or or insecurity don't necessarily have to dictate how we operate. And I, I mean it more in a grand way that I was this. I've always been this curious mix of like bravado mm-hmm. and 3 a.m. panic attack. Yeah, of course. You know what yeah, I mean? Of course. So I think that 
one of the things that happened to me as I was training to be an actor. And I, you know, when I was at Kenyon undergrad, every summer I was doing like an apprentice program or an internship or non-equity, you know, I was just always doing it until I got to NYU. And then I did the Guthrie program. Um, yeah. Did you ever know Ken Washington? Did you know who he was? Um, no. I he don't was this know. wonderful man. He directed me my third year at NYU. But I think of him in particular because he was, he died a couple years ago and I shared at his memorial that they had with some Yale and uh, with a lot of grad school people he had affected. And I said, you know, I wasn't sure that I believed that I could be a professional actor, mm -hmm. but I believed that Ken believed I could be a professional mm -hmm. actor. Mm -hmm. And there's something about sometimes when you don't believe in yourself, when you're younger, you have to outsource the belief. Other people have to tell you like, no, you've got it. Mm -hmm. Like I was an apprentice at Vassar at New York stage and film in between my sophomore and junior year of college. I think my parents sent me there because they thought I was going to get killed by all these East coast actors <laughs> and, and I would return, you know, I'd get it out of my system yeah. and I had to call them and be like, you know, we were doing two Shakespeare plays that summer and I had to call them and tell them I'd been cast as Macbeth. Wow. And they were like, oh God, <laughs> you know, I could hear them <laughs> like, oh God, for now we're in yeah. for it. Exactly. Um, but I remember that it was a really fun, beautiful time. And I go back there all the time. That's where we did Sacred Valley. And I'm always very conscious to, I always talk to the apprentices because my summer there was so meaningful. And I remember there were these actors like Peter Fouchette and Jane Kaczmarek mm -hmm. and um, different people who saw my work. They actually mm -hmm. came to the plays and pulled me aside and were like, you're going to, you can be a professional actor mm -hmm. if you want to be. So there, it was like getting a secret handshake. Like there were certain people that like believed in me. Mm -hmm. now, I didn't know what, how good you needed to be, Yeah. but they told me that I at least had the, the seeds of it that yeah. I could do it. Yeah. And, and that was so meaningful to me. Yeah. And sometimes people don't get that. Sometimes people don't go to those programs. They just have some sense that they've really got something to share and then this is the form they need to share it in. I guess like what I, so, so what I, what I'm curious about is, um, you know, aside from the encouragement that you got, like, how did you, can we, again sort of like distill like for people out there in in any job um or just students who have a dream yeah. right and they say i have a dream how do we get them how do how what what might be a useful piece of advice you would give someone who's sort of feeling like they know what they want but it feels a little bit out of reach or they're scared they maybe don't know if they can have it or not like how how do you uh give someone the same kind of confidence or, or, or can you, is there instructions or pieces of advice? Like, what do you say to someone who's like young and wants to do something that seems kind of impossible, which acting sort of seems, or, you know, no, maybe it never did seem impossible, but a lot of people feel like acting is an impossible thing. And a lot of people I think feel like just a collective thing that totally, but like a lot of people feel like being an entrepreneur is an impossible thing. Like, yeah, wanna... but then I always say, but people do do it. Right. You know, so and so for you, like how so like I'm just I'm trying I want to like uh, I just want I want to help people who aren't actors who might think like I want to open this business or I want to yeah. um, be the head surgeon or I want to, you know, like what how do you help people wrap their minds in a practical way around their dreams or, or take that leap of faith? Well, I'd say I'd say two things like there's always a navigation or a negotiation between um, I want to do this thing because my parents never saw me the way I wanted to see, you know, whatever your wound is, uh -huh. um, that is not enough fuel. 
Right. Like that's going to, you're going to tap out. Cause of that that's fuel. sort of reactive, right? Yeah, yeah. Or it's just, it's, it's like, it's not a steady foundation. Uh-huh. It might've gotten you into whatever you want to do, but it's not going to carry you throughout a career. Uh-huh. The other thing is like, I, I, I have something I want to share and I think it could be of use to people mm. because I think that's a better fuel than I want someone to praise me or see me or validate me or tell me I'm okay or tell me I'm good. Some of that, that if you're good, that stuff will come. Right. But I think that, um, shifting into a mode of service, Mm. like, you know, if you want to be a doctor because like you come from Jewish people who only value doctors, (laughs) that's, that's going to run out. But if you're like, I really like healing and helping people and being there for people and saving lives. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's a better, Finding a sense of purpose. A sense of purpose. Exactly. Meaning. Right. That will, that's, um, renewable energy. And so do you, can you, do you know what your sense of purpose is in this business or in creativity and in any aspect of how, how, Um, of your creativity? Let's do, um, come back to that. No, no, no. Let's come back to, I had another idea about what you just said, but I can try to answer this. Tell me, tell me. Yeah. I think that I'm honing it more and more. One, I think I'm just a storyteller and I, um, that sounds so grand in a weird way, but if, if there's one thing that unites everything I do, it's like telling stories, whether it's through song or one of the things I love about writing songs is like, I can tell a three minute story or a four minute story and it's complete and I can do it in an afternoon and say, here, I made this. A film is like, I need two years and I'll get you back. I'll get you something, (laughs) you know? Um, so there's a different kick to it, but also even writing an essay, you know, I share so many stories about my own life and. I think that, um, I think in a lot of ways, what I feel like my dharma is like whatever, you know, that kind of sacred duty, as Uh they say in the Vedas, like it just has something to do with storytelling or taking old, you know, like perennial truths and making them relevant again. Like, cause I, cause I read so much and I'm so interested in ancient wisdom. Right. Like, how is this applicable to us? How can we use this? Right. And I'm always my, my, both my movies are ostensibly were kind of marketed as romantic comedies, even though I think they're. They're bigger than that, you Uh know, but I'm always trying to smuggle in something really useful Uh and something that's, um, something that's perennially useful that, Mm -hmm. that, that would be useful 2000 years ago and 200 years later, you know, that I want things to age well. Yeah. 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 So it's like, um, you're interested in sort of finding, a like an earthly expression of universal truth. Yeah, I suppose that's a good way to put it. Or Honestly, I really like getting inspired and I really like inspiring people. Sure, yeah. And that has the word spirit in it. Yeah. So it's kind of like I was just with all these um fancy people this weekend and, <laughs> and I was talking to some scientists, you yeah. know, and um I was talking to this mechanical engineer, this woman. I love talking to people like mechanical engineers. Yeah. And we or were quantum talking, physicists. I, I, you know, sure. she was talking about, you know, things that are provable versus not provable and I said, but isn't much of what drives us in life almost entirely unseen? Mm. Whether it's love, need, hunger, shame, fear, envy, all these things. You you can't measure them in a laboratory, but you know they're true, right? Yeah. And it's funny that there's there's evidence-based people that are only, they'll only believe a laboratory, but I'm like, we're running experiments on ourselves all the time. Uh-huh. Like I know that if I behave a certain, like if I gossip, I'm going to feel crappy. Right. Like, I just know that I don't need a, I don't, you don't need to tell me what molecules released in my head <laughs> when I gossip that makes me feel bad right? or makes you feel bad when you hit, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then she said something about, she has two kids and she said something about, well, her, you know, she knows that her love for her children is because evolution has 
geared it that way. And I said, but if your kid almost gets hit by a car or you're having a tender moment with them, you're not thinking like, look at what evolution's doing. Like you're just loving your child. Right. You know, right. it's like telling someone who's in the first blushes of love, like, you know, that's just oxy oxytocin that'll, right. that'll wear off. Right, right. It's like there's something about like the poetic dimension of life that I want to preserve. Yeah. Like I, I, wa I like mystery. Yeah. I like, you know, I don't believe in a gray bearded man in heaven doing or not doing anything, but I certainly believe in like an unseen dimension that is, you know, contactable. I like, I believe that something's going on here that's very huge and mysterious and amazing and terrifying. I don't know what it is. I just know that it can either, you can either kind of partner with it or you can <laughs> ignore it or violate it. Yeah. But there seem to be some sort of like cosmic laws that are, that are true and have always been true and will always be true. And so talk about partnering with, with that. Like talk about partnering. Well, that's with part of what I was talking about, about, you know, volunteering, mm. like saying that like there's a creative electric force that's zipping around and it's looking for places to land. So maybe express. like, so, I mean, I mean, to be reductive, like, would, could you say that this is about trusting that there's a force that, uh, that, that we don't have to know everything about, that we don't have to necessarily name or find the chemistry behind or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes think that when we, um, we can rob ourselves of some sort of openness mm -hmm. by um and i'm not an anti-science person at all i don't want this to sound like that like i'm fascinated by what I the discoveries too. are and, and i know. think that like at, at the far reaches science and faith if you want to call it that or and that's such yeah. a loaded word but like science and mysticism let's call yeah. it really dovetail in this amazing because scientists have to have a lot of trust that their research is going to yield something interesting and to be a scientist is to inherently be an optimist yeah because you're you're saying like i'm there That's there's right. something to discover here there's something to discover here yeah and that and so you don't have to like believe in like woo woo stuff to say in your life there's something to discover here and that's what i'm after right but if you also like if the Mayans looked up and saw an airplane, they'd call that a miracle. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. the, the Vedic, uh, you know, authors of the Vedas were basically articulating you know, ancient yogis were kind of talking quantum mechanically. Totally. So there are these things that because we didn't, they didn't have the words for them or the, the kind of scientific method to prove them end up being like, oh, yeah, you can actually prove that in a laboratory. Which I don't think makes that any less miraculous. No, you exactly. know, it just means that there's laws in the universe that are so specific and so incredible and so freaky. I mean, quantum mechanics is like actually I know. freaked out Einstein. Like, I it's know, a freaky. But thing. so that, but that's like in in that sense, you could call, uh, you know, the conversation that you had with the fancy scientist over the weekend. Like, you guys just have difference in perspective. Well, like she's not going to call it a miracle. No, but when I brought up the thing about her love for her children, you know that. You don't, you're not thinking that it's evolution. You're, you're delighting in, or the fear of something might've happened to them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. wh whatever, however it's been instilled in you, I think that the poetry of it is such that you're having a feeling and you're having an experience. Here's a question I have. Um, how do you, um, do you care? Do you care if people believe in miracles or not? I mean, like when you're talking to that scientist, right? Mm. And you guys have different perspectives, let's mm. call it. And even if you have different like ideas about how things are, yeah. do you care? Do you feel a need to, to convert her? I used, or? To, I used to have so much more of a need to kind yeah. of like 
get people to see the world I see. Yeah. And now I'm so... That's one of the gr the benefits of aging mm -hmm. is that you're like, oh, wow, these, these people um, are wired completely different than me. And they're... Th that's how they're going to see the world. Like, yeah. They're like, great. I mean... It doesn't, although I'll still get into it. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Like sure. I'll still, I'll still get into it just because it's fun. But at a certain point, if feelings start getting hurt, I, I know how to back away. Like I, I'm not, I, I guess I have less of an agenda about conversion towards my worldview. Sure. And I, and I, I almost feel like, Hey, um, this is the fire that I've lit. And mm -hmm. these are the stories that are going to be told around this particular fire. We'd, I'd love to have you sit around and share and hear but like i don't care if you want another fire yeah you know yeah um and can you talk about um right so you're you don't want you're not gonna be just in a voluntary echo chamber with someone like it doesn't i mean that that has a kick too you know it happens just like, right sure like intellectual you get like excited. we're in one right now sure it will in like like we're, we're we're not gonna be like ah like i, I don't feel like we're gonna get in a fight around <laughs> no, stuff like but we, i don't even feel like are we disagreeing right now no no, no i'm saying we're 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 in an echo chamber of agreement oh i see what you're saying yeah, like, i guess i meant like an echo chamber of like a like conflict or something where it's like conflicts bounce off when each in other words you're not gonna you have no need to like ignite a, a f f if someone disagrees with you you're not going to just keep disagreeing with them it, like you're able to to let I've someone dropped sit. a lot of that yeah 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 that, and and so yeah. can you just talk about the like how uh, um because i think i have two and it, it, you know like i think this is like what you you called experience and i think also like you could call it just maturity expansion like as we age, right, we we become a lot more accepting. I mean, as as a sort of very general rule, yeah. we tend to not not everyone does. Some people no, no. become more ornery and yeah, like yeah, uh, yeah. attached it's to their opinions. It's always very tragic to watch that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like I sort of feel like ideally for the for our own sanity as humans, yeah. we become more flexible in what's acceptable to us in mm -hmm. terms of like people's ideas as they differ maybe from ours, and like. Um, I'm curious, like, can you talk about how maybe acting has informed that, that expansion, that, that flexibility and, yeah. can, and, and then can you also talk about like how maybe acting has indirectly informed that? Like how can someone in the world who feels really fired up about their, um, opinions to the point where, you know, like there was a girl I remember meeting years ago who like couldn't stand it when somebody didn't signal when they were driving like <laughs> like it just like drove her out of her mind yeah. whenever she was behind someone who yeah. like made a turn that they never signaled so like can you just talk about how you know obviously that's a very small example but like from small to larger examples from like very practical things to more uh, uh, you know ideology based things like how do you expand in that way um that's a great question. Can I go back to one thing? Because I, I do want to get this in because it's the thing you asked about, like, if people have a nine to five job, but they, you know, they want to do this. If it's not brain surgery or being an entrepreneur, but if it's more creative, yeah. I think when we got out of school, the gatekeepers were a lot more of an issue. I agree. So studios, television studios, film studios, the theater people, um, the rise of like YouTube and GarageBand, you can make your own music, you can throw it up on Bandcamp, you can make your own little movies and put them up on YouTube, you can become a YouTube personality. Yeah. Like, there's so many things that, that are available to people now to just go direct. 
that yeah. you don't have to get permission for. Mm. And I think that that is so key. Like you can make really cheap movies now. Yeah. And um, that's that's been a change that we've witnessed over the years. Yeah. And I think that if you if you really have to tell stories, there's kind of no excuse because you can tell them in a cost-effective way now. Right. And you can get and you know, I bet there are parallels. Like, even if you do want to be a brain surgeon or even if you do want to be an entrepreneur, like, like even, like, podcasting, like, you posting, blog, having a blog. Like, there are yeah. so many ways to get your ideas out there in the world. Yeah. Um, and start manifesting, like, your quote-unquote dream that is really a reality to mm -hmm. you without uh, without waiting for permission. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge, that's a paradigm shift because I feel like one of the things that made me upset about being an actor when I was younger was that I always had to get permission to do it. Right. You, you have to do, you can't just wake up and be like, okay, I'm going to act today. You, you need an invitation. Right. And you're always fighting for the invitation. Um, that's why I started writing was because I was like, I can get up and do this. Same. No one needs to tell me. Yeah. So anyway, um, to go back to your point around. And, and just, I'll just say one more thing. Yeah. Just because I know that you'll relate with this, like. I've found that people just like two years behind us in school were making their own stuff when they were graduating. Right. Like just like it was like we're right, on, right that on the cut. cusp. Yeah. Like two, even just two years younger than us, people were already being like, yeah, pick up a video camera, like right. make a video. Post I remember it. a guy, <laughs> uh, like a financial guy came in and talked to us at NYU and he talked about doing your own website, you yeah. know, like joshradner.com or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I remember thinking that is the grossest <laughs> thing <laughs> or even the idea of having a publicist like someone to publicize yeah, and it's like you get yeah. to a certain point in your career like if you don't have a publicist, a publicist you're in trouble right. like the, the, even to keep you from doing bad you know the wrong sure. things like yeah. saying no to things um so all of that's just been a huge education yeah of um course. but uh your yeah, question talk about, about expansion yeah um or soft softening one maybe. of the things i think is great about being an actor and I, and I really i value a lot of relationships i have with older actors like i love when older actors like when i was doing how i met your mother just you know when francis conroy or ed herman or yeah. you know um kyle mclaughlin or all these yeah. people would come to the set and i'd always want to talk to them about what's how do you do that john lithgow like yeah. how do you do this with some grace like how do you age and become cool like you john yeah, lithgow yeah, you know yeah um and as far as i can tell there is because just what is the alternative to that like the alternative is what um it's it's a it's an, a, a calcifying into a control freak mm. it's it's being a person who is upset that people don't signal on you know it's needing the world to coalesce around your needs or and how do you imagine that happens that calcification well richard Rohr, who i love do you know richard Rohr? he's a franciscan priest i've studied with him and i read a lot of his books i think he's a great genius like great. a great spiritual voice for our time and he said that as you age if you don't have some connection to a higher power whatever you're calling that that mysterious thing mm -hmm. He said, you naturally become a control freak because you don't believe that anything's got your back. Mm. You don't believe that anything is on your side. Mm. So the universe can turn very hostile. Mm. And it's a very um, unfortunate place to find yourself in, especially as you age. I think that's what 
not to get too political. Yeah, go I ahead. think that's what Fox News plays on. Yeah. It plays on the world is spinning out of control. Right. And it makes people very afraid. You have to always be on defense. Yes. Yeah. You know that look at what these people are doing. They're taking this and they're taking mm-hmm. this and you're suffering and it used to be better and all these things. Mm-hmm. And what a, what a miserable way to age. Mm-hmm. What a miserable way to make money, I think, yeah. those, you know, what they're doing over there. But, yeah. um, but, you know, you endure enough, like people endure. I mean, look, it's all mindsets that we choose, right? Yeah. But you can imagine, one can imagine. I always, I mean, I think about this, you know, like sometimes I'll see, I feel like for some reason it's especially in these times afflicting old men. Yeah. Um, cause the world's really changed a lot for men Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, as, and you see sometimes old men that get so angry about what seems like small things, yeah. like m- differences in opinion or, you know, like, you know, a parking spot or like, just like, just bent out of shape because like yeah. it shouldn't be this way. Yeah. Um, but you can imagine how like, if you endure enough, um, like if you, if you don't have a way to process your disappointment yeah, or your anger or your, um, your, I mean, I think it's a lot anger, but if you don't, if, if no, if you never come up with like a system, an internal system to kind of cope with that, yeah. That I think that's what leads to that calcification, yeah, right. And and then the calci- the manifestation of the calcification is this very sort of dualistic us versus them. You're right. victimized. The, those people are living well. You're living poorly. You have right. to defend against this horrible, you know, these people who are coming into our country to kill us or or mooch off us or whatever the thing is. Right. Well, w- well, one of the things I got from all my years of acting is. Um, like a really, really strong course in failure and disappointment. Yeah, talk, talk a little about, bit about. Before. Yeah, can you talk more? Do we need to talk more about that? Like, I mean, I perhaps because I think that to make it to to just put it in a larger context, I don't think that there is such a thing as a life absent struggle. Even what you would look and call like a mm-hmm. blessed life mm. is like. First of all, it's hard to have a body. Yeah. Like it's just hard. Upkeep is hard. Your body <laughs> changes as you get older and it's annoying. Like I'm annoyed at my like 40 something bodies, right, like not right. my 20 something body. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, um, you got a body, you got a problem. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I always think like, it's so weird that we like celebrate birth so unanimously and we mourn death. It's right. like, what if it's like the reverse? <laughs> like, like what if it's sorry to say that to a pregnant person, but like, <laughs> like birth is really, first of all, birth is hard. Yeah. And you know, you're gonna, you're looking at your child. Like you got a lot of, this is hard here. Yeah. And we're going to do the best we can to provide for you, but yeah. it's hard. You know, even if you live a beautiful life, like your body's going to betray you at some point. Mm-hmm. You're, if you live long enough, you're going to bury a lot of your friends. I know this is a very dark, vision I'm painting, but it's true. No, it's, this is true. It's true. You're going to see tragedy. If you're an empathetic person, you're going to suffer on behalf of the world. You're going to see things that really upset you. Mm -hmm. You're going to be witness to a lot of, you know, calamity. Mm -hmm. Politics is going to outrage you. Your Mm -hmm. blood pressure is going to, on top of the fact that you're going to get your heart broken. Mm-hmm. Friends are going to things hurt. betray you. You might get divorced. Yeah. You might like all these things. Things hurt. If you're, a, if you're an awake person, you're going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Now I can make just, and maybe I should make just as big a claim for like 
how brilliant and beautiful it is to live one of these things. But I think that, that we have to eradicate the fiction that there is something about life that should be frictionless, Mm -hmm. that should be easy. Mm -hmm. And, and as I've gotten older, I've acquainted myself and accepted like, like almost against my will, like, Oh, I, life is nothing but a string of disappointments mm. and, and mini and major failures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, I say that as an ostensibly successful person. Yeah. I could, if you really understood, like I can really, if I'm not careful, I can really convince myself that I am a failure. Yeah. Like that's just, that's a weakness of the mind. Cause I know I'm not. Of everyone's mind. Yes. A, a human mind. Yes. Yes. Especially in our business where it's like, there's always people like 20 steps ahead of you. Right. You, you're rarely looking at, the people behind you that, yeah. that are like, oh, I'd love to have your career. You're always like, oh my God. Uh, but I, never, I still don't have their career. I don't have this. I don't have yeah, this. Yeah. And they have their people. Right. So everyone has everyone a person. Has it. Everyone. So it's kind of rigged for your dissatisfaction. So how do I stay sane and on the side of hope and, you know, like socially limber and optimistic in the midst of what my brain is trying to tell me that I am a failure and that that I have a lot of reasons uh, to be miserable. Yeah. When I feel like the, you know, it's that Carlos Castaneda quote, like um, you, uh, you, you can either be happy or miserable. The amount of work required is the same. <laughs> yeah. And I think that there's some caveats to that because sure. I think certain people have had deep trauma and I don't mm-hmm. want to gloss over that. I think yeah. some people really have a big thing with this. Now I'm like best case scenario. And part of what I think my Dharma is to say, Hey, I've been behind the velvet rope of like, Fame, success, money. It's still hard here. Like right. I've seen a lot of miserable Academy Award winners. Yeah. I've seen a lot of like fantastically depressed wealthy people. Yeah. It is not, it does not inoculate you against a kind of human despair. No. And you still have to choose to to do something like You that have to despair. curate your thoughts. You have to right. be a good steward of your mind and what you allow in. Like to say, is that a useful thought? Just because you thought it doesn't mean it's true. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really important. Well, developing that self-awareness that you're talking about, right? Like, could you, yeah. would you, would you call that consciousness? Yeah. I mean, consciousness is awareness. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, there's basic consciousness, which is like, I know I'm alive and right. I'm here. Right. And then there's consciousness, which is, we talk about raising your consciousness, uh-huh. which is like what yogis talk about and Buddhists talk uh-huh. about, which I think is about the witnessing consciousness. So mm-hmm. there's a part of you that is un- uh, unperturbed uh-huh. by the the ups and downs of life. Yeah. It's just there. Uh-huh. It's peaceful. It's present. That might be the part of you, you could call it divine. Like it's just that that eternal flame in you that is just aware and awake. And, so, and it's observing mm-hmm. the moods. It's observing the weather. Can you talk about cultivating and pra- and cultivating and then um, like uh, strengthening that, that witnessing awareness? Um. Meditation is a time-honored thing to do it, Mm -hmm. um, and I do that. Um, I think... uh, Like, is there a moment-to-moment practice you have, like... Well, uh, like a basic one would be your first thought is going to be ego, Mm. and pay attention to the second thought. Mm. What's the second thought? Like, what's the perhaps more sane and measured thought behind the, you know, like... People who are just led around by their their fears or their hungers, that that's they're just in the grip of ego. They're I mean, it's almost like a drunk person. Yeah. You're like you're actually hypnotized. You're you're asleep. Your consciousness is asleep. And you can tell you can tell people who are just more in touch with the witness because it doesn't bother them. There'll be another parking spot. 
right. just let the person have it. Right. So they didn't turn on their blinker. Like it didn't cause an accident. I'm going to let that one go. Right. You right, know, there's, right. there's so many ways to use your life to awaken spiritually traffic in LA being kind of the best one we have at our disposal <laughs> I know. because it's so, you know, like there's can, always someone can offending. I stay sane? Yeah. You know, in the midst of this, like, and, and then just remembering the basic fact, like all the traffic is in your way. And, and then remembering like, I'm also part of someone traffic. else's way. You know, I'm an extra in someone else's movie. Right. I'm not right. always the protagonist. So like also maybe that's a connection between like having some compassion and being able to use compassion almost as a tool for witnessing. Well, that's awareness. the best thing about acting is that it's compassion training. Right. Like most people are not asked to step into the shoes of another person. Right. And that's where I see, I think you're seeing like a huge empathy deficit in our society mm -hmm. and and we're at a really perilous moment around that mm -hmm. and i think that that's why storytelling is like we need it now more than ever so empathy itself is is something that everyone can can use to be very expansive right like like in moments where you one might feel stuck in one's life one can employ the simple tool of empathy of, of saying like, and by the way, to call it simple, obviously again is a little bit reductive. It's not empathy. Isn't necessarily as it's a muscle. Right? right. Right. And so, but if we can exercise empathy, which to, to, to like sort of define that in a very general way, like if you can practice putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, then you actually, you, you might be expanding your possibilities in this well world. what's interesting i think that's a two-pronger actually because i totally agree with what you're saying it's like what the, like i always think this is a very holy question to ask what's it like to be you mm. like that's a that's that's divine mm -hmm. because it's really saying my experience is not primary mm -hmm. like you're having your own experience you're the protagonist of your story mm -hmm. i'm a i'm a supporting actor at best in your story <laughs> right, right. but the other thing is when i was at nyu ron van lu our acting teacher used to say you're here to expand your definition of yourself. Mm. So you come in and you think you're just this. We're trying to show you, no, you're also this. Mm. And it's it's what Carl Jung was engaged in, you know, this notion of wholeness. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, there was this beautiful YouTube video where someone who was a contemporary of Jung or maybe a student of his said that he could stand in front of anyone because he had so thoroughly interrogated himself and mapped his interior and he saw everything in himself. He saw criminality. Mm -hmm. He saw a seducer. Mm -hmm. He saw a deceitful person. He saw a lover. He saw an idealist. He saw God. Like he saw everything in himself. Yeah. So he could stand in front of people and they could not shock him mm. because no one would say anything to him that he hadn't located in himself. Right. So he in that space was perfectly compassionate. Mm. And I feel like when, when we see, oh, that person over there is this way, we can also go, I have that in me too. That's where compassion is, you know, like, I don't know, you know, a, a, a black kid who's in jail for pot because of they smoked pot in high school and got, was like, I had pot in high school. Right. Or, or I, you know, um, or I've had moments of rage that, you know, I would be horrible if it caught on tape, but right. that person's got caught on tape or right. whatever, you know, right. I think that our, our tendency to point fingers and throw stones, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus said so many great things about yeah, this. You know, yeah. one thing Richard Rohr says is Jesus was never angry at sinners. Never. He was only angry at people who thought they weren't sinners. Yeah. He was angry at hypocrites. You know, right. the whole thing about, you know, um, 
don't Those worry about the splinter the, you uh -huh. know the splinter in someone's uh, eye you, you have a plank in yours right, right, right. like our first response should be like how am i like that right how am i the person who who is is capable of what that person what i'm so judgy of that person doing that's like a very great and simple practice i mean that's wonderful i right? try to do it all the time it's hard because my tendency like i've even gone through i'm, I'm having a hard time doing it these days but like what's my inner trump yeah. Like, where am I a narcissist? Where am I a bully? Right. Where Where do I demonize other people to right. let myself off the hook? Yeah. You know, like... Because, by the way, here's the thing. Whether or not you're saving the world in any way by doing that or, like, w whether or not, like... The issue of like Trump and the actuality of him and his his politics and like anyone that you disagree with in the world, let's just call it, like fundamentally somebody that you think that person is doing ill and causing suffering. Right. Whether or not like you, whatever you arrive at in that exercise, the exercise itself is very valuable. Yes. And it's also like I don't mean this to be misheard as like some you know, liberal California, like, oh, no one should be thrown in jail. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. like there are horrible things that people do. Right. You're and, not being morally relativistic. No, not at right. all. It, it's just, I feel like we're so dug in around our own point of view. Yeah. Reflexively. It's what the ego does. It yeah. says like, my experience is the only experience. Right. And that there, there can be a softening and a, a hand extended to mm. other people just like, and acting is so great for that. Mm -hmm. That's why when people talk about acting as one that drives me crazy, acting is lying, which is the opposite of lying right. or that actors are these kind of narcissistic self-absorbed people. And it's like, not the great ones. Right. You know, the great ones are the, some of the most empathetic people you could imagine. Because you have to be. It's a holy kind of shamanic thing they're doing. Right. They're, they're you know, Think about, I don't know, like what Meryl Streep has let come through her so yeah. we could have that experience. Right. That's a, that's quite a holy thing, I think. I agree a thousand percent. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very altruistic to be an actor in a way. In a lot of ways. But then you get, we also... Well, we then both, there's a business. We, both, we venerate it and then we sh we knock them down. Right, you know? right, right, right. So right. there's obviously, we, we understand that, it, they're, that actors are doing something that necessary, like... I think story is as vital as water, air, food, and shelter. Like, it's it's as ancient. Yeah, you know, gather yeah. around the fire and talking about the hunt. Like, it's an that's... engine of of it's like a it's like a, a compassion engine. And how do we know what we're doing here, or how we can do it better? If we don't tell stories, I mean, it gives context and meaning to our lives, which is it's a meaning which engine, which is exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I sometimes get if I have any, you know, quarrel with fancy scientists. It's <laughs> like. I'm a person, I'm a meaning maker. Yeah. That's literally what my profession is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you tell me I'm just a collection of molecules mm -hmm. and consciousness is a brain dependent phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. I die, that will be extinguished. Mm -hmm. And I have a hard time knowing what it is we're doing here. Yeah. Because I feel one of my favorite quotes is from Al-Ghazali, this Sufi um, poet or philosopher who mm -hmm. said, um, no, oh, beloved, um, no, oh, beloved. Um, oh man, what is it? it me, you're is talking it? about Rumi. No, no, no. It's oh. Al Ghazali is his name. Oh, okay, sorry. No, oh, beloved. Um, yeah, me... we we have Mako's looking it up. We, oh, yeah. we, we might have a no, oh, beloved. Do you, do you you're going to cut out all this stuff, so no, I can... we're not. We we, we might you keep, keep this it on. in. Well, we we might. I mean, I think there's you know there's value to it. <laughs> Did you find it? We got it. We got it. Here we. Do you want to read it? He's showing it. Wait, to wait, us. wait. Hold on. I'll it's right it. here, Josh. Oh, it's it. here. 
<laughs> okay, so this Al Ghazali quote, which is okay. kind of my favorite, okay, which is, um, "Know, O beloved, that man was not created in jest or at random, but marvelously made and for some great end." And for me, I love that. That's just the most comforting thing I could hear because yeah. it's like you're not a random thing. Yeah, you're here for a reason, and there's a there's a point and purpose to all of it. Right. You know, it's kind of like when you see a play and you just feel like was like mm. i remember seeing a play that upset me so much because it was it made me feel almost existentially claustrophobic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was like nothing means anything that was the, that was what the playwright was trying to yeah. say like, nothing means anything yeah and i reject that like if i reject yeah. anything yeah. it's a rejection of like meaning but you know what though like here's the thing because like a lot of people reject that right like a lot of people i mean you know staunch atheists are like nothing means anything that we're not here for any purpose but but although i think they can find some senses sometimes they do some, sometimes but like but but <laughs> but even the exercise of um imagining that yeah. we're here for a purpose is very um in my in my experience valuable like by the way you know, one of the most controversial things that people say is everything happens for a reason, right? right? Like that's a very controversial statement because like, okay, well, did my dad die of cancer for a reason? Did the Holocaust. kid get in a plane? Did the Holocaust happen? Yeah. So this is a very controversial statement. But my, my perspective on that statement has always been that that statement is, is meant um, not as like a, a hard and fast viewpoint, but as an exercise. Right. Um, that if we can imagine that everything happened for a reason, it at least puts us in, um, in, in it, it, it allows us to look for purpose. Right. And that, that looking for the purpose is valuable in and of itself, whether it's right or wrong. Right. I mean, it's re you're hard pressed to find the reason for the Holocaust, right? Right. I mean, you could, you can have many intellectual conversations about it and like geek out on it for a million years or like, I mean, to say Let's geek out is right even, now. yeah, no, no, we're not going <laughs> to do that. And that's already yeah. like, already, I'm sorry. And then I said you can geek out on all, you can't, but um, but, but there is value there. That question in itself is expansive in my, in my opinion. I agree. Like, what is our purpose? And also, you know, one of the weird things in power versus force, I, I do find this muscle testing stuff to be fast. I don't do it that much, but I remember thinking this book was fascinating. Yeah. And so like you hold out your arm uh -huh. and it doesn't matter if you're a football player or a, you know, 80 year old woman. Yeah. And if you think of like Cigarette. Jesus right. or Martin Luther King, uh -huh. And they say, hold your arm up and don't let it down. Like no one can push your arm down. Yeah, yeah. But if you think of Hitler or cigarettes or whatever, like right. your arm will go down. Yeah. So there's something in our... I've done this, by the way. I've done it. Uh, I've done it with some acupuncturists yeah. like, to test different foods. And yeah. I mean, this is a it is a well-documented um, right. way of methodology. They've done thousands of tests yeah. on this and yeah. tens of thousands probably. But um, there's something in our being or our body where our... Where our where physiologically we respond in different ways to different things and mm. going back to our earlier discussion like i do think we have some gps in us mm -hmm. that is i don't want to say infallible but it's it's if you can hone it mm -hmm. it becomes like a real radar it mm -hmm. knows north mm -hmm. it knows what north is mm -hmm. and north is like where you should be headed or this is a truth or whatever those mm -hmm. things are mm -hmm. so when you if you muscle tested me like um 
life has meaning. Mm-hmm. I bet my arm would stay up. Mm-hmm. And if you say nothing means anything, my arm's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Why does my body respond? Why do I get, uh, why does my hair stand up on, you know, my arms when I hear Beethoven's third movement of the ninth symphony? Like, what is it about that piece of music yeah. that connects me to something so cosmically large? I can't even name it. Right. Versus this guy's play that made me want to crumble into a ball and mm. get mad at him. Uh-huh. Like, I, I, and yet he found some purpose in that, right? Like, yes, presumably... because he wanted to write about it, but I, it, it, I can also decide like, that's a play I like or don't like. Totally. And that's, know? and that's, uh, and by the way, we're not here to like debate in the world. Like, I mean, we're not literally, we're not doing this particular Look, podcast. I'm open. Po- I really want podcast. like a fertile, uh, theatrical, you know, landscape. Sure. Like yeah. I, I think that play, if people want to produce it, they should produce it. I have a right yeah. not to like it. Yeah. And I also have something Richard Rohr says, I think about all the time is the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sacred Valley is about a lot of things, my play, but it's also about meaning and purpose Yeah, as, as, as almost everything I write is about. And so, so yeah. like, I just want to go back to this and we can, I mean, we can keep talking as long as we want or we can wrap up, but like, I, I think it's, it's valuable to go back to when you were talking about, you know, when these uh, venerable, amazing actors would come on How I Met Your Mother or any show that yeah. or any, anytime you're working with these guys and you say like, how did you end up this way as opposed to like the more sort of embittered. Um, you know, resentful actor or, the, or whatever it is, like the actor who behaves in ways that cause suffering. Like how right. did you end up this sort of more expanded, generous version? Right. And what did you, and did you glean any advice that you feel is useful and, or, or that you, that has changed you in any way? I'm very dear friends with Judith Light and She's I've been friends so with her for a long time. She's so amazing. Yeah. We did a play together in I think 2004, 2003, and we've just maintained this beautiful friendship. She has a great team around her. Her mm. manager, Herb, died, who was mm. I was very close to, too. was just the loveliest. But she, he was part of her team. Like, she had a good team. Yeah. Like, having the, the right people around you to yeah. kind of act as bumpers in a way, mm. like, to keep you on where you're going. She's a lovely husband and just this kind of community. But she also made service a huge part of her life. Mm. She was one of the first celebrities to say the word AIDS publicly. Mm. She starred in the Ryan White story and mm. brought like a whole, you know, she's beloved in the LGBT community mm. because of her activism on behalf of that community. And this was before she had her career renaissance where she now wins Tony's every year. Yeah. You know, this was, this was before that. And, uh, she just turned her life towards service mm. in a really deep way mm-hmm. and made sure her work mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also a great resource for someone who got visibility on a sitcom yeah. and has turned it into yeah. something, you know, quite classy. Not to say that a sitcom can't be, but um, it can be imprisoning in a lot sure. of ways. Yeah. So she well, was... you have to have a purpose, right? Like if you're going to do what you did or what Judith Light did and star in a sitcom for yeah. a lot, a lot of seasons to evolve past that, because all anyone wants to do is put you on another sitcom, right? And to, to avoid that, like, yeah. it's like there is, there ha- it feels well, like there has to be a like, greater. like, I don't want to repeat, but like, I've done that. I need something new, you know. I've right, like, that. you want to expand. You're daring yourself to do yeah, something. Yeah, totally, totally. The other thing, you know, speaking of John Lithgow, who I really adore, the thing about him, and I see this in other. Another person who starred on a sitcom. Oh, correct, um, yes. And then. And, and continues his, to do amazing yeah. work. He. Uh, I don't know that he would articulate it this way, but my observation of him is that he has maintained a kind of goofball idealism about being an actor. Like he looked like he never looked like he was slumming it. 
He did yeah. a couple episodes, I think. He just looked like delighted to be there. Yeah. He was super kind to the crew, which I always take note of. Same. Um, being... It's you guys. It, I mean, just like a little like inside the business stuff. You would be shocked at how rude people can be. <laughs> it, it nothing annoys me more. It's like being rude to a waiter in a re- like. What are you it's, doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, very important point actually, and I think like kindness over everything. I mean, when yeah. you see injustice, be unkind to the people committing injustice, yeah. but largely be nice, <laughs> be, yeah. a, be a mensch, be a right, good person, right, you know? Right. Um, but he had a kind of, it wasn't wide eyed cause he's such a veteran and he knows how to do it. It was just like this childlike glee that he couldn't believe he was doing it mm. still. Mm. I remember there was this moment, they wrote a really funny bit for him that he could have not been a good sport about. Yeah. But they did this footloose joke because <laughs> he played the preacher and, foot, yeah, you know, yeah. and Neil's character, he was dancing like crazy on the dance floor. And it was, was that his father? Yeah, I think it was his father, but he tried to get him off. He was like, just stop dancing. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Small Town Preacher. Are you not, a, is it illegal <laughs> to dance? You know, it's just like this yeah. little funny footloose joke, but he yeah. did it with such joy and gusto yeah. and he just didn't care. And I find some of the best performers are they're humiliation proof mm. because they don't they're I don't know they're not they're not guarding their ego at every moment mm. and I sometimes um I can I can be a little too precious with you know how I can get a little serious or I mean that was something that was kind of good about how I met my mother and it also had some downsides is like it edged me into goofball territory more than I even wanted to be yeah but it also it humiliated me on a pretty regular basis. And I think that was good for me. And what do you mean that you can sometimes get a little serious, like serious about, you know, I understand what you mean when you say like sort of that it's a little bit egoic, but like, what do you mean? Like, can you talk about the difference between taking something too seriously and sort of allowing yourself to be humiliated? Like what are your different, what's going on in your head when you're in one mode versus another? Well, that was hard for me because I mean, if you take a nine-year sample size of any part of your life, you're going to see your some of your best days and some of your worst days. Of course. So when I was doing that experience, some days I was kind of at my best, and a lot of days I just wasn't. And I, I look back and blush a little bit just because, um, I don't know, that experience was sometimes hard for me. Of course. I mean, I'm so grateful for it. Being it changed on a sitcom, my life in Just to back ways. you up, by the yeah. way, being on a sitcom, which I've done a lot also, is can be really hard. Really, really hard for like a billion reasons. Yeah. Um, it can also, I mean, it's also like we're the most blessed and we like, it's amazing that we <laughs> yeah. get to the opportunity, but it's not, it's not just like, you know, like I had an idea before I went on a sitcom that it was just like in my imagination, like the friends cast, it was just like, everyone's happy all the time. And like, it's easy. It's we're false. just like making yeah. jokes. It's like so yeah. fun. It's really, it's a job. And there's honestly, a lot of pressure you don't and make there's jokes. money. You don't want to make jokes sometimes. Like, you know, there's, I also think because my life destabilized in so many interesting and and scary ways sure. um i got much more serious about my spiritual path yeah and when i got serious about my spiritual path i was looking for some sort of anchor or root of something mm. that felt very very real yeah more real than than that yeah and it's so weird because so many people almost have had a spiritual experience watching how i met your mother like I, I hear from people every day that it like lifted them out of depression mm. and changed their lives and gave them hope and all this stuff. So something of that was really a part of that experience, but the making of it, sometimes I just like, I would be in Peru with like 
the Karos <laughs> tribe, you know, yeah. and I would come back like lit up from within at this spectacular experience I had and no one really wanted to talk about it. And then yeah. I had to, you know, I was suddenly in a strip club with Barney yeah. and it was like, it was weird. It was like, I, I, I felt more this, I felt like this energy coalescing in other parts of my life. And then, then I was asked to do all this stuff that I, I almost felt too old to be doing at a certain mm, point. I was right. just like, like you resent, there was some resentment maybe. I think or... so. I don't want to, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of this too much because yeah. it's like, I also really do honor what that show like absolutely get, liberated me to live a creative life. Like yeah. I don't, I don't sneeze at it. I don't reject it. I certainly, and I don't mean in this conversation, I'm happy to have this conversation, but a lot of times people will come up to me or write me on social media, kind of like the the Star Trek guy in The Simpsons, like <laughs> in episode 204, yeah, you know, and they yeah, will ask yeah. me these questions and I'm like, I don't remember what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, I know I acted it, but I haven't seen a lot of those episodes and you've watched the show 15 times right. and I never even saw all the episodes. It's almost like if someone, like you went to high school, mm -hmm. you got a lot from it. Mm -hmm. You had good friends, some good yeah. times. But you've really, like, you're not in high school anymore. <laughs> and all anyone wants to talk about is high school. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, you're watch you're reading my yearbook constantly and wanting to ask about. Right. Like, it's very Or it's strange. like a relationship you had with someone for 10 years. There were great days and there were shitty days. There were things that you, yeah. re you regret. And there it's things weird that, that there's this expectation that you're going to be this gung-ho ambassador for that thing you made all the time. Right. And I, and I really, I'm most moved by the people who... Well, first of all, I really appreciate it when people call me by my real name and when they when they actually take an interest in my work that I've done since then and my uh -huh. work that I did out of that show. Um, when people say, like, I discovered you through How I Met Your Mother and then I found your, you know, I follow your music, I follow mm. your I use letters, and mm. I love your films. Like, mm -hmm. that is so meaningful to me because they're, they're seeing the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But I also, I genuinely love when I hear that people, you know, like my mom was sick and it was one thing that brought her laughter right, was right. to watch your show with right. you or people. I just, you know, I met a, a, a war reporter who's in horrible situations and she's right. like, your, for some reason your show was a thing that took that away. It's from affirmation of your, of your search. Exactly. For and it's so ironic that the, the thing that I thought was almost like taking me away from a spirit, like had a spiritual dimension to it. Yeah. of course. And I love that. And I, but I, you know, I, I love the people who created it. Like I, they're still friends. Like I, yeah. I, I worked with those guys. You worked with Carter and Craig? Yeah. I worked with do? them on this show called the good one games. <laughs> oh, you did that with Chris Harris? Yeah. Yeah. We, oh, uh, fantastic. Oh yeah. Yeah. Chris, cause they were EPs on it. And yeah. Chris Harris great. I love all it, three yeah. of those. Yeah. And actually people. Neil directed an episode. Oh, did he really? Of that show. Were you yeah. a series regular on that? I was. Well, uh, no, no, I was, uh, like heavy record. Like I did like eight out of 10 or okay. seven out of 10 yeah, or yeah. something like that. I mean, they're good people. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're those guys who sweet, created the show. Sweet, amazing dudes. so um yeah and you know this is a thing I'm, I'm writing a book and it's kind of largely about what we've been talking about but the this thing of um failure is really hard and success is really hard yeah and we're in a society that's like no no no, success is good mm -hmm. and failure is bad yeah. but i think that it's important to demystify that because yeah. if you get on a hit show there's a 99% probability it's not going to be to your specifications about what you think you need and want in every moment. Whether right. it's, you know, there's so many things that 
throw you. Right. And so how do you like, so, and I, uh, you know, again, like I'm, I'm minding the time here, but I, I do, I kind of, this is really like, to me, what I'm, um, I, right now what I'm sort of interested in personally, um, how do you, how do you sort of stay out of that kind of dualistic mindset? Like, it's so easy, not only in our business, but every business and just in life to say, well, that's good and that's bad. This thing that happens means successful and that thing right. that happens means failure. How do you, you know, I mean, that we've sort of been talking about this the whole time, but this really is sort of my purpose in this podcast. And, you know, what I'm, what I find is like just a really valuable uh, um, question to ask is like, how do you, how do how do you become more unified and and like what's the value in that like what's the value in 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 sort of expanding beyond like success failure good bad i think there's two i think there's two things one is the idea that i think actors certainly have this that i can speak to but i think other people have this which is something is going to save me from despair mm. or something is going to save me from 3 a.m. panic attacks. Mm -hmm. Something's going to make my life make sense or make my life challenge free. Actors are like, well, if I get the hit show, or if I become a movie star or if I, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? We all have Everyone a, version has a version of that, right? Of that. So I think one of the benefits of getting successful um, kind of as quick as you can is to puncture <laughs> that illusion for yourself. Right. Like get the thing you think is going to make you happy all the time <laughs> to, you know, let to, to, to really finally for once and for all show you that it won't. And, and to be clear, I've never met a person who got the success thing that they always wanted and wasn't it, that in, when it wasn't followed by a period of misery. I don't know anyone either. <laughs> no one, right? No one. And in fact, I think the miserable period post it is darker than the miserable period before, before it. it. Because one of the things that you kind of do is that idea, that hazy carrot in the distance right. that's like, oh, when I get that, I'll be happy. Right. It's kind of a morphine drip into your arm <laughs> yeah. where you're like, well, I've had a crappy day, but one day I'm going to get that. And it kind of, you can give yourself some boost from it. Then you get that and you're like, oh, now my morphine drip is gone. And this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And my friends are mad. Now at me I don't even know what jealous. to want anymore. I, I know it's it's yeah. it's a disaster in yeah. a lot of ways. So I think puncturing for yourself the illusion that that the the thing whether it, people do it with romantic relationships all the time that the outside thing the the thing that we can have or exactly. the person that we can have or the job or the or the shoes or whatever the per thing that you think is going to bring you happiness yeah. on the outside. Yeah, puncturing that illusion. Exactly. I think the other thing is resist drawing conclusions or labeling a thing good or bad mm. until you have a very big sample size. Yeah. Right. So I am so averse to change mm. that I have told myself if you're moving, like if I move for a job and it's like a five month job or whatever, I'm like for two weeks, you are not allowed to decide whether this has been a good thing or a bad thing. Like That's give yourself two great weeks. Exercise, right? That's right. Amazing because practice. initially, if I'm plucked from my home and put in a weird town <laughs> in a hotel or wherever I'm living, like yeah. I'm going to feel weird. Right. I'm going to feel unsettled. I'm going to, I'm going to miss what I'm a, how, why did I do this? But I'm also an adaptable creature. Mm -hmm. So within two weeks, I'm kind of like, you know what? This is lovely. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like you have to give yourself a little time. It's like that. Um, and it probably stays a little bit of both, right? Everything's a little bit of both. Everything is a little bit of both. 
It's like that Buddhist, um, that the great parable, Buddhist story. The parable about the kid and the war. Yes. Yeah. I was just thinking It's about brilliant that. because it's well, like, like... Can we retell it? Because I know it, but... Uh, okay, so... Well, we can j- join forces in it. on it. Okay. Okay, so it starts where there's it's a, a kid and a farmer and who's his son. given a horse. Have you heard that? Uh, yeah, the farmer's given the horse. Right, and then the son the, gets on the horse. No, no, no. So the farmer's given okay. the horse, <laughs> okay, and the townspeople all say, what good fortune. Right, right, right. And he right. says, we'll see. Right, exactly. And then the kid is out in the field, and the horse falls on his leg and shatters his leg. And everyone says, says oh, what bad fortune. Right. And he says, we'll, we'll see. see. And then there's a war. Yes. And all the kids in town are drafted for the army, but the kid can't go because of his leg. And he's the only kid who lives. He's the only kid who lives. And they say, what good fortune. And he says, we'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> so just this notion of like what looks like a bad thing might not be a bad thing. Right. We can't. We don't know. Rise getting canceled. We'll see. Right. I, it's a hundred percent. It feels like a bad thing to me right now. I got fired from my very first pilot that I did for the WB. Yeah, I heard a, that. A hundred percent. That looked like a bad thing. Yeah. The year later, I had my best year of acting and made the most money I ever made in my life. Right. We'll see. Right. I mean, hit sitcom. We'll see. Right. You know, right, can, right. Uh, can't find work. I don't know. Like. Right. So, and in the real world, all the time, you get fired. Uh, we'll see. You. As someone, someone breaks, breaks up, up with you. you we'll, we'll see. see. Right. Yeah. And I do think that you it's it's like taking a larger sampling size rather yeah. than reacting to the thing, you know, right. parking spot like would it, you know, you can't get that parking spot and then I don't know, someone runs into that car and totally. hurts that like you don't know. Or you can't get that parking spot, then the parking spot that you do get right outside the spot, you meet your person you marry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so that's where I think going back to having some trust in the universe that yeah. like what looks like inconvenience might be misdirect or redirection. Yeah. It's like I I heard a great thing, you know, God, again, in quotes, not gray bearded, whatever, but (laughs) God only has three answers to any request. Yeah. Yes, not yet, or I have something better in mind. Right. You know? Right, right, right. And I think there's so many mysterious things, for instance, just to come back to what we do. I'm sure you've noticed or you have your version of this. The jobs I get, it's like the doors keep opening. It's like mm. inevitable. Like, yeah. why do I keep these doors keep opening? This is so effortless. Yeah. And I, those are the jobs that are meant for me. Whereas other jobs that I think I'm perfect for, you're, you're say, fighting for, you want it. It's so like the badly. doors locked. Yeah. They, it's just not my role. Yeah. So you, you, you reflexively develop some sort of mystical thing where you're yeah. like, I guess the roles that are meant for me are the ones I'm going to play. Yeah. And there's a, there's some relief in that. Of, of handing it over and yeah. being like, I'm not in charge of everything. Right, right. And even then, though, like, you know, I there's not a lot, but there's a handful. Like, I'd say, like, you know, three to five, maybe four. Maybe let's call it four jobs. You know, I mean, and we're talking, like, hundreds of auditions, if not, like, a thousand. You know what I mean? Like, there's been a lot. I mean, I've tried for a lot. Of, I mean, we're old. Yeah. I'm old. Yeah. So, like, but there's, like, probably, like, two that I still am, like, ugh. I wanted that one so bad. Yeah. Like it was between me and one of, um, other person. Like, I, why I've had I've... a couple of those. I've had. A, I've also had some passes. I had one pass that mm, like... That you regretted. Well, it was just right when I was um, ending How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. And they really wanted me to do it and kind of had two separate offers mm. for it. And I was just like, I can't do another series right yeah. now. And it went on to do yeah. something kind of great. And, but I also look at again, like what I've done over the past four years and I'm like, wait, I wouldn't have and also, not wanted to do right, And things. also the purpose in that maybe to help you digest disappointment 
or to help you digest envy or to help you digest attachment or whatever yeah, the thing is. I have hand wringing over it. It's just every once in a while it'll cross my right, mind. Right, of course. Like know. it becomes a distant memory, but sometimes, right, then you think of it and it's like, yeah. I mean, meaning that it's not always like you don't get that part, you don't get that relationship yeah. and then like the heavens open. Yeah. Sometimes you don't get it and it's just straight up disappointing. The other thing that I struggle with is because I was on this hit show for so long that I really get a lot more juice these days from writing, directing, and music. Yeah. And sometimes acting, you know, people are like, you should... Oh, that was a big, big <laughs> that whistle. Was a whistle. You should... Um, why aren't you doing more? Like, why don't you do another whatever? And it's like, it's really hard to do these things. Yeah. Like, you sit in your trailer a lot and you're waiting around on set. It's a lot of hours. Yeah. And I don't think that people understand how labor intensive it is to make things, yeah. especially on camera. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to make plays too. <laughs> so I just feel like I have to really love it to want to do it. I've, I've definitely liberated myself from the idea that I don't want to be seen all the time. Yeah. I don't need to be doing something all the time. The only thing that comes in is this ego thing of like, I don't want to be the whatever happened to so and so from that show. <laughs> so, so there's a sure. feeling of like, no, I've got to, I've got to have another big thing. But also, the idea that like How I Met Your Mother was such a global phenomenon, yeah. fluky kind of thing. Yeah. That, like, Ben and I have like a real fan base. Yeah. It's this not is, Katy this Perry's is fan ben base. Lee, your, yeah, your Ben band, Lee, Radner and Lee. Mm-hmm. We we sell out shows in Brazil. We yeah. we sell out shows in Australia. Like, it's awesome. We're, I, we're not on the radio. Like, we're not taking over the world of pop music or whatever. But there's something that is just giving me so much joy. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like, again, the fruits of the labor. It's like I keep feeling like if I follow the joy mm-hmm. and keep doing the thing that makes my feet excited to hit the floor mm-hmm. in the morning or me mm-hmm. excited for my mm-hmm. feet to hit the floor. <laughs> I can't say what my feet are up to. You know? <laughs> um, I feel like some of the things are going to really hit. And some of them will just be like for a couple people who love them. Yeah. But it feels like a, a, a rich, full life. When you're doing it for you. When I'm doing when it. You're and following the and door. when I'm excited to share it. I'm like, I made this thing that I just adore. And if you, you know, I love this band, Cloud Cult, so much. They're based mm-hmm. in Minnesota and they become really good friends. And Craig, the lead singer, called me. I was in Peru at the time and he was like, Would you want to produce and act in this Cloud Cult movie? And I was like, 100% Yeah, I like I don't need to know anything else yeah, about it. Yeah, and it was just a silent film scored to their album, mm, The Seeker. Mm. And I went to Wisconsin for two weeks and shot it and helped produce it. And and it's this beautiful, like, beautiful thing. Yeah. And I don't know if people beyond Cloud Cult Films and, like, Josh Radner completists have seen this movie. Yeah. But, like, I know why I did it. Yeah. Because I love this band. I love what they're about. Yeah. The story was moving that we were telling. So I did it. You know, and that's everything. Follow your joy. I think. No, I mean, I think that, and, and I knowing, also think that's a great place to knowing end, what to, that is to end. You know? Yeah, knowing yeah. what that is. So the, the the only last thing I'll ask you is just like if you can, are, do you have any? What are your resources? Like, do you have particular books, particular films, particular pieces of music, particular classes, or types of therapy, or like anything? Like, do you, can you make a, just a few recommendations to to people? I think. I, I hadn't been in therapy for years. I just got back in, and it's good. Oh, I love that. I'm, like I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm a two-time a week or since oh, okay, I'm 15. Yeah. Like, I love yeah. it. <laughs> so I'm back in with that, but I took some time off. Um, but, like, types of therapy. Like, even, like, craniosacral massage. Like yeah, any she does EMDR. Love it. Love yeah, that. Which mm-hmm. I just did my first time. It was really... 
felt like a, my skin was peeled off. Like I felt so vulnerable Very afterwards. Powerful. It was really powerful. Um, mm, I do daily meditation, mm-hmm. um, which I think is great. I, um, I read a lot of Richard Rohr these days, R-O-H-R. Yeah. I really, we're gonna, I really love I'm going to get all over that. Um, read Falling Upward. Okay, great. It's a Falling great Upward. Book. Okay. You're also right at the age where you should read it because it's about it's the spirituality of the first. Are we a different age? I'm I'm about to. I'm my birthday's on Sunday. Oh right. I'm gonna be 44. Okay, so I'm 40. Okay, yeah. So I guess late 30s, early 40s is like the (laughs) the time to read this book. Okay, great. great. It's about the 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 two halves of life. Falling upward by Richard Rohr. I wrote a song on our first Radnor and Lee record about it, but um, or inspired by it rather. Um, I listen to a lot of music all day long. I write music with Ben, without Ben. I'm playing my first like solo, proper solo gig tonight. What? Um, Can I come? When is it? Where well, is it? It's called Silver Lake Sessions. My friend Jaden puts it on. All right, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna play a couple songs with my friend Carenza, who's Amazing. this genius violinist. Um, and um, you know, I just do everything. Like I have really good friends, which is yeah. super important. I just try to stay on the side of hope. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um and I think I think really um when disappointment, setback, struggle comes along, not to think that there's been some cosmic error. Mm. Like really just go like, okay, this is part of it. Philip Roth on his um writing desk used to have what did it say? It said something like the ordeal is part of the commitment. Yeah. And I just really try to remember that. Like yeah. The, the, the struggle and the boredom and the hard days and the disappointment and the envy and oh, oh, whatever whatever monster's eating your face that day. Yeah. It's like to tap into the part of you that's not affected yeah. and just be like, this is part of it. Right. You know, you can, you can calm down. Just put one foot in front of the other. The struggle with life is part of the life. Yeah. And, you know, I went to an Orthodox Hebrew day school and Jacob wrestling with the angel is like yeah. a central story of Judaism. But I think it's a great metaphor. It's like, we're supposed to wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. You know, some days I really, I feel like something's on my side and other days I feel like I'm swimming upstream and hitting my head, you know, walking into walls. I don't know, yeah. but it, it does come back. The flow comes back, yeah. but we can do things I think to encourage it. Yeah. 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 And I think you've talked so much about it and I'm so grateful for you. And I'm glad we've been friends here. for so many years. I know, me too. It's crazy. It's it great is. to see you. I um, know. I know. I'm very pregnant. You guys state. might not know this, but right now, currently, I'm like three weeks away from giving birth. I love that you're <laughs> going to have a Leo baby. I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless she's really late, in which case Are you she having would a daughter? be a, a Virgo. Yeah, I'm having a okay. daughter. Yeah. yeah. I hope it's a Leo. But I'll still love her. Me too. I want her to be an awesome lioness (laughs) like you while you're a lion. Um, Josh Radner, thank you so much. much. Thanks, Kat Foster. Thank you. Bye. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at I am Kat Foster and reach out to us using the hashtag ActingRealPod. For links and recommendations from this week's episode, visit ActingRealPodcast.com. Episodes go up on Mondays subscribe to the show and rate and review us it would mean so so much to us if you did this podcast is produced by hanami sutton and chris mako with technical assistance by david o'hara and music by sean hokinson we love you guys we really really do thanks for listening see you next week Bye.